0: Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest is Jamie Mendelson, who is the Executive Vice President at Asher Group. Jamie is passionate about insurance and a go-to resource for helping advanced planners and fiduciaries integrate life insurance policy valuations into their planning processes. She educates the financial services community throughout the country at conferences, estate planning councils, and wealth management firms. And really, it is her commitment to partnering with financial professionals knowledgeable in every facet about the secondary market and her diligent effort to exceed expectations that makes her unmatched in this particular field. So welcome, Jamie. Thank you for coming.
1: It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's start with a really easy question for me, but maybe not easy for you to answer. What do you do? No, it's a great place to start. Our
1: firm partners with advisory teams and policy owners all over the country to value existing life insurance policies. So we don't write life insurance. We don't do wealth management. All day, every day, we're working with advisory teams and policy owners to help them understand the fair market value of their life insurance assets. Um, Whether that's for some type of estate or tax planning, or maybe looking at all of the assets that they have on their balance sheet and recognizing that life insurance is an asset uh, that might not only be needed for the protection purpose it was put in place, but could potentially be monetized today for a value uh, that could be used to create cash flows for other planning needs. So that's what we do all day every day.
0: Yeah, so let me just ask a really silly question. Let's imagine I bought a million dollars in life insurance. I hit upon hard times Mm -hmm. and I could no longer continue paying that premium. Mm -hmm. My impulse based on ridiculous Misunderstanding is that I needed to just stop paying the policy and I would lose what I'd paid for. Mm -hmm. There's a different way, isn't there?
1: There is a different way. Um, You know, a lot of times I'll compare it to other tangible property like real estate art or jewelry. When you have a piece of that property, and you decide you no longer want it or need it, you want to move out of your house in uh, the northeast and move to Florida, for example, where I am today, uh, you would never think to just walk out your house and leave it there. Meanwhile, for decades, policy owners have made a decision that they can't afford their life insurance or they no longer need it. And their reaction is to either surrender it back to the carrier for some predetermined price, whatever that cash surrender value is, or just to let the cash run out that's in the policy and let the policy lapse. And there's actually a secondary market that will value the life insurance policy and potentially provide greater value than the surrender value that the carrier would give you, although less value than the death benefit. So going back to the real estate analogy, if you were moving from the Northeast of Florida, you'd make a decision, you'd say, let me understand the value of my house and my my land. Let's see what it's worth. And then once I know what it's worth, then I can decide if I wanna sell it or maybe if I wanna rent it out or lease it. So that option exists for life insurance. If you make a decision, like you mentioned, that you no longer want, need, or can afford a life insurance policy, before you just let it go or hand it back to the carrier, you can value it and see if the market of institutional buyers will actually pay more for the policy than what the carrier will give you. You know, And on average, the life settlement industry that we're gonna touch on today, it averages 7.8 times more than what the carriers are providing with their surrender value when it's a policy that actually fits the market. So that's a great question.
0: So what kind of policies fit the market?
1: Yeah, so there are buyers, and these are large institutions like um, private equity, hedge funds, pension funds, even foundations and asset managers that are buying these policies. Those buyers will buy all policy types, whether it's Term or universal life or whole life products, there's a lot of different life insurance policy types that exist and the market will buy all of them. But the most attractive policies for the market today are any variation of universal life product. So that could be um, a policy that you have that's labeled uh, guaranteed universal life or current assumption or flexible premium universal life policies. But for all policy owners or advisors that are participating in this uh, conversation today, it's realizing that any policy type could fit the market under the right fact pattern. But usually the policy owners with universal life policies are going to be most attractive to the current institutions that are buying in this regulated life settlement marketplace.
0: So I'm imagining that there is somebody who took out a life insurance policy, a universal life policy sure. 30 years ago when their kids were younger yeah. and they wanted to make sure that the kids were provided for. The kids are now doing well. Their, yeah. The spouse does not need it for whatever reason, if there is one. I could see that policy not benefiting the Person who takes out the policy during this life and not needed after death. Is this the kind of circumstance where it can come into play?
1: Absolutely. It's really when any of those protection needs change. So someone is selling their business or maybe to your point, um, you know, the insurance have lived so long that the reason they put it in place doesn't exist anymore. The kids are taken care of or maybe a spouse predeceases them um, or maybe in some instances, we actually have clients that are trying to find an asset that they own, a vehicle to create cash flows for other planning needs, like their healthcare needs or their long-term care needs or to help fund other parts of their plan. And when they have existing life insurance, compared to, again, that reaction of saying, I don't wanna allocate dollars to it anymore, or I bought it for business purposes and I've retired or I've sold my business and they just let it go, to realize it could be repurposed and cash today to fund other planning needs, I think can be a powerful tool uh, for many policy owners and advisory teams to help uh, create the capital needed for other planning needs.
0: So how secret is this? Because I have never heard of this and I am pretty well versed in what kinds of things are out there. I may not understand them, but I know it's out there. How secret is this?
1: You know, our family owns Asher Group and we've been in business for over 20 years. So the marketplace itself, um, although is growing rapidly and, and has um, really taken off, I think, an awareness over the last several years, um, it's been in place for decades. Um, it's just similar to your point, a lot of advisory teams and policy owners aren't aware that it exists. It's very much a niche market. When you think about uh, the opportunity. it's it's significant um, this life settlement transaction when we actually talk about valuing life insurance and being able to monetize it in a regulated life settlement marketplace that's actually available in hundred percent of the country And about 46 states have some type of regulation on the books from departments of insurance and financial services. Uh, But there's not a lot of discussion, unfortunately, by advisory teams. And it's something that can really be an opportunity uh, for policy owners, as well as, you know, anyone that's in a fiduciary type role, you know, mitigating risk and liability. So I think awareness is growing. Uh, You've seen more advertisement on television or online. Um, that I think is creating awareness. Uh, But there's a lot of room for growth. I mean, every year, just to give you a general kind of, idea of the opportunity, every year about 9 million policies are surrendered or lapsed without ever paying a death claim. That's over 640 billion a death benefit that's just being surrendered or lapsed. The whole life settlement industry uh, from data from about two years ago stated that 4 billion of death benefit was purchased, only um, about 3 or 4,000 policies. So when you think about the opportunity, you know, over 9 million were surrendered or last and the whole industry only purchased less than 4,000. So there's a lot of room for growth. And I just so appreciate being here today to talk to you and your listeners about this market.
0: So what is the process? You yeah. that's them? another. Yeah. What's yeah. the process? How's this work?
1: Yeah, yeah it's a, a great question. So really it takes very little information with just an illustration. Um, and a date of birth. And if we happen to have some general health information, very quickly we can value a policy. So an illustration is the ledger from the carrier that shows what the future costs are to carry the policy. So many times the policies that are the greatest of interest and a fit for the market are usually policies on insureds over the age of 70 and usually with the Universal Life products. So with an illustration that shows the premium to carry the policy past age 100. And that's important. We live in a, in a world today where people are living so much longer. And I think that's also been a driving force of the market is the fact that right now in the US, there's about 50,000 people over the age of 100. With the baby boomer generation by 2045, that number is expected to grow to over 700,000. So we're seeing this increase in demand and awareness as we have more insureds over the age of of 65 over the age of 70 growing well into their 80s or 90s. So with an illustration, with a date of birth, with some basic health information, we can very quickly work with you to determine is the policy viable for the market? And if it is viable, what's the range in value? And I think that whole process only takes a day or two to be able to come back with some feedback uh, and not invasive at all. Again, there's no exam required in this market, unlike new insurance, where maybe you have to um, have a blood draw or have an exam. In the life settlement marketplace to sell an existing policy, the buyers actually don't require exams. Those institutions, the fund managers and the underwriters that are part of their teams are just looking usually historically at medical records, office notes, and then the age of the insured and then that carrier information showing the future premium costs.
0: I'm I'm astounded. I am. So how can we best get this word out there?
1: I think it's integrating it
0: into our overall planning process with clients.
1: Um, You know, I speak all over the country to advisory teams across all different practice areas. And I think it takes those trusted advisors to educate the consumer. Uh, My dad um, is a physician. He retired about a year ago. But when we first got into this business and my brother started it, he said, you know, as a physician, it's my job to be aware of all drug therapies and surgical options and give my patients. Information and then give my advice on what I recommend. But if I'm not staying up on all of the the new therapies and interventions that are going going or uh, taking place part in me, um, that could be malpractice on me. And he actually looked at this industry and this option, this consumer friendly solution um, that could create more liquidity for other planning needs. In that same viewpoint, the fact that we all go to our advisors for advice, it's everyone's job to educate the consumer, which I I think is is one of the big takeaways i hope everyone has from this conversation today so that they know that it would happen if we can just incorporate it into our balance sheet reviews in our overall planning process when we're looking at the assets our clients have if we can get in the habit of thinking about life insurance and treating it the same when we treat other ordinary property you know the real estate the art their jewelry i think that we're going to really Put ourselves and our clients in a position to one, recognize the opportunity if their insurance needs or ability to fund change, and also mitigate risk and liability for ourselves or even our our clients. I mean, if you have clients that are trustees and they have some type of fiduciary duty, right, Uh, and they have life insurance in those trusts, this gives them that opportunity to be aware of this option which could be a solution to create more capital for planning. So I think this presentation, uh, this discussion today is really a great step in educating advisory teams and policy owners that this exists. And the option itself, when the solution works, um, we've really seen it benefit families and businesses and charities by being able to take uh, an illiquid asset in many people's minds and allow it to be monetized to fund, again, whether it's the the healthcare long-term care needs of a family member or a loved one or help create the capital and the cash flows to keep a business going or help it grow um, or other situations. I mean, we do a lot of life insurance valuations for pure documentation purposes. So recognizing that life insurance is an asset um, when valuing businesses or looking at marital assets if there should be a marital dispute or maybe just in some type of uh, reporting or tax uh, situations where you have transfer for value. So I think getting in the habit of valuing life insurance, not just for the outcome of life settlement, which I think, you know, is a a focus of today, but if we can just value it, and once we understand the value, make a decision on what to do with it, I think it could be powerful for our policy owners and um, our organizations
0: so you must have one family or one situation that comes to mind that makes you feel great about the work you do can you give us that case example
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And we work on all different size policies. I've sold face amounts as small as 100,000. I've sold individual policies as large as 100 million or portfolios that are over 200 or 300 million. But I have to say the one that gets me choked up and um, gives me goosebumps when I think about it is a a family that we worked with actually in the Central Florida area. Um, And there were three siblings that were helping fund and care for a loved one that was in a skilled nursing facility. Um, and they were having to make a decision on how do we fund the policy as well as fund her care. Um, and it was causing a lot of stress and a lot of, of, real dysfunction between the children. Um, and we presented at a meeting and one of the, the children was actually an attorney and saw, uh, the presentation and came to us and said, Hey, I've got this back pattern. We've got very high expenses with our mother. We can't fund the policy anymore. Can you value it for me? So we valued the policy. Policy and we said, you know, for this $500,000 policy it had very little cash surrender value, maybe $12,000. Um, the initial valuation by looking at the cost to carry the policy, looking at the age and what we knew of the health information of the insured suggested multiple six figures. Um, so after talking to the siblings, because there was a lot of, of stress with the financial needs of their loved one, a burden on one, one um, sibling more so than the other two, and just causing a lot of tension the decision was made to monetize the policy. So we ended up selling the policy for over $200,000. But what was so touching, and it makes me uh, choked up when I think about it, is the mom said, you know, it's the first time in two decades or decade in change that she didn't feel like a burden on her kids. That something she had created with her husband when he was alive was actually going to be able to fund her care and not be a burden on the children. Um, that to me is what this industry is about. Again, we work in all different, different types of situations. We work a lot within the corporate world, a lot in the business world. Um, but I would say that one gets to me because I think about um, just the impact that we have on others' lives of bringing relationships back together um, as well as helping fund some of those important needs.
0: What a wonderful note to end on because it warms my heart hearing this story. So I appreciate you joining me today, Jamie. And for you listeners, if you've liked this episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast, please like us on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit BeyondTheBalanceSheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.